stand in the gap. For those of you that remain, uh, would you turn in your bulletins to our passage we're looking at, or your Bibles, uh, to uh, Exodus 11. Exodus 11, 1 through 12, 13. That's what we're looking at this morning. We have The sermon title is Grand Finale, and uh, that is what we find here. Uh, we have looked at, as we began the study of Exodus, we, we saw the children of God, Israel, in, in uh, slavery, uh, being uh, suffering, and God hears their cry, and he calls a redeemer, uh, a man, Moses, who's very reluctant, <laughs> a very reluctant redemptive figure, and he... But yet, God works on him, and he obeys, and he is the mouthpiece of God, he and his brother Aaron, and they perform signs to the, to evidence, to the evidence that God has heard the cry of his people, he has visited them, and he will, he will deliver them. And then we see these, we've seen these nine plagues that God has brought upon Egypt and from the fourth plague on, we see this beautiful thing that God has, though the, these, these things have befallen Egypt, the, the, the death of the livestock, the gnats, the frogs, the stinging flies, the hail storm of lightning, uh, the darkness, the locusts, and uh, all those are those are the wrong order, but you get it. Anyway, all that's come, and, and yet they were unaffected. God's people in a very clear way, in the land of Goshen, this eastern region, this region east of the Nile, are spared all of these things from the fourth plague on. They're, it's explicitly stated they didn't suffer. They didn't, these things didn't touch them. And yet, they're still slaves. They still haven't been set free. They're still longing for God to come through and do what he said he was going to do, to, to see them out from under this, this, the rule of Pharaoh, the burden. And now, now God will set his people free. We're not going to come to all the way to the Exodus. Uh, this Passover uh, section, it really covers uh, two full chapters um, into, the, into chapter 13 even. And we're looking at really verse 11, the... the um, the announcement of what God is about to do, and then the instructions that Israel is supposed to, what they're supposed to do as this happens. And that's what we're looking at. The, and that's not the points of the sermon, but the announcement of the, the, the grand finale, the announcement of God's finally bringing about, bringing Pharaoh to the end of his rope, bringing about the, you know, the exodus. He's about to do it. This is how he's going to do it. And then we have these specific instructions for God's people as he carries out his, this act of judgment and act of deliverance. And so with that said, let's pray and read God's word together. Lord God, we are thankful for um, this, your word, and we're thankful that you speak to us so clearly, so fully, that we know, uh, we can know you as you are, not, not, we can't know you completely, but we can know you truly. And we thank you for that. Lord, thank you for this story that even though it happened thousands of years ago, thousands and thousands of years ago, Lord, we, we know that, that 
it, it means it's, it's beneficial for us. For if it wasn't, you wouldn't have recorded it. It would have been written by Moses, inspired by you, Holy Spirit, and preserved throughout the ages. Lord, we thank you that we have it. We thank you that, um, that, that this story, uh, the story of Israel, is our story. For you tell us we are your people, the true Israel, your church. And so, Lord, help us to understand it and to see you clearly and to see ourselves and to even understand what you, what you did on the cross as we understand this event. Lord, do, work that into our hearts and um, draw us to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord, Yahweh, said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from, uh, from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt." Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of the month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, so you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight." Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's, Yahweh's Passover. 
For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt." The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. I want to answer three questions for you this morning as we look at this. First, how is this tenth plague different from the rest? How is this tenth plague plague different? Second, why is the Passover lamb necessary? And third, what does Yahweh have to do to love Israel. So first, how is the tenth plague different? How is it different from these other nine? Well, from the very beginning, we see, and you read this in verse 11:1, that success was announced at the beginning. Right? This one, that's a very obvious, this one is going to yield the desire, what the people of Israel, their desired effect. Now, all these other plagues, you know, you know, they did the desired effect of God, which was what? To continue to show all the ways he's more powerful than Pharaoh. Not only Pharaoh, more powerful, the true God over all the Egyptian gods. There was intent and purpose in it. But now God says in, in, in 11, 1, this is going to be it. One plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. This is going to be it. Exciting, right? But this was also said in the very beginning when he started this, as he's speaking to Moses uh, at the burning bush. Um, Back in uh, chapter 3, he says, verse 19, But I know... I'm sorry, yeah. But I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch up my hand and strike Egypt with wonders and I will do it. After that, he will let you go. There was never a doubt in, in, in God's mind. But, you know, there might have been a doubt in Moses. There was at first. And for the people, imagine that, you know. One plague after another and still what? We're still here. God still hardens his heart. He still will not let them go. But now Moses says it. And notice, if you notice where Moses is, he's still in the presence of Pharaoh. That, that he is, at the end, he's, he's, sit, you know, he's just told Moses, as you say, I will not see your face again. But before he leaves, God speaks to him. And then he makes it known to Pharaoh, verse 4, what's about to happen. And then he leaves in anger. Uh, has Moses lost it? Is he? Is he? Uh, but you know, notice it's not a war. There's no. There's not a warning. There's not a, re- a question. There's not a request of Pharaoh like the other plagues. This time it's just all right. The plague. The ninth plague is over. Now this is what's about to happen. Judgment is coming. Yahweh will visit uh, Egypt, and it will not go well for you. Um, so, uh, Moses, Moses, uh, announces the success beforehand. God makes it known. That's a difference for this 10th plague. Another difference is that God will work without any mediation this time. 
You notice that before it was Moses that touched the water with the staff or raised his hands and declared it. But now what's going to happen? God himself will visit. God will come to Egypt. Moses announces it and leaves and instructs the people. But who does this? How has it happened? There's no mediation. Moses doesn't have to do anything. God himself is going to take care of it. All the plagues were acts of God, but the last was outstandingly so. Because he comes to exact a just judgment. And if, if we realize it, I mean, this is the ultimate fate of all, isn't it? Who come face to face with God. That when God shows up, there, how can you stand? And there more to say about that later, but he is, he is coming in a, in a specific way into Egypt without mediation. A third way that this is different is that um, ever since the fourth plague, and I said this before, Israel has been set apart. It was, it was on the on the outset of the it was the it was the onset of the plague itself that separated them, right? Like if you were in Goshen and then were traveling and you went into Egypt, there wouldn't be a lot of difference. But, but on the day of, you know, this, you know, there would have been gnats all over you and then you crossed into Goshen and there would be no gnats. <laughs> you would be walking along and all the livestock were fine and as you cross into Egypt, they're all dead. You know, you'd be walking, stepping, crunching on locusts that covered the ground and then you would cross over into Goshen and there you could see grass. That, that the onset... Of the plagues, you know, separated them. But there's something different here, isn't it? But now, before the onset of this plague, and we haven't even gotten there yet. This is just the announcement and the instructions. We'll see that next week. But Israel was commanded to put the public mark of blood on their houses. And so now, through an act of, an, an act of obedience, Israel is set apart. That's different. They will self-declare to be God's people under the blood of the Lamb. So this is very different. You know, it's, again, put yourself in the place of, of the Israelites, you know. And hearing these instructions and being told, okay, no, this time is it. Do, do you think they struggle? Do you think they struggle to believe that this would actually be it? I mean, as far as the outward appearances were concerned... The plagues had seemed to, to fail to achieve their purpose. And, and maybe some even there were thought that Moses had failed. Or the Lord himself had failed. The slaves were still slaves and freedom seemed an elusive and distant, as distant as ever. This was a big act of faith. Think about it. This is the first time. There's, there's, no, there's no scripture to go back to. This is a first time thing. Moses is saying, God has told you now, I want you to go and there's a certain day of the month and you're supposed to find a lamb and you're supposed to, there's all this specificity about the lamb and, and not only what it looks like, but when you're supposed to get it and, and, and how many people are supposed to eat it. And you're like, what? And to us, it's normal. This is, this is yeah, we've, we've grown up. You grew up in the church. You've heard this story time and time again. And it's, it'd be kind of weird, you know, if, you know, 
it's hard, it's hard enough putting together a menu and a meal, isn't it? We, and some of y'all bring in some, some really good food. I hope you're supposed to. And it's supposed to be really some good food and, uh, for, for tonight. And, and like, imagine like God calls you up with a recipe, you know? Oh, you know, like you're stressed out enough, right? No, God's giving you the recipe. You know, measuring cup. You know, anyway. Uh, you know, what? This is, this is, kind of, this is strange. There's this, nowhere, no other time before now has God's people been told something like this. This is weird. It's a big act of faith. But it's not a leap in the dark, is it? Faith isn't a leap in the dark. It, it's based on what? Based on God doing amazing things in their midst again and again and again and again. And though it's, though it's strange and unheard of, it's not, it's this act of faith he's called them to, isn't isn't really an act in the dark. Faith, uh, as a, one writer put it, is action taken on evidence, driven by conviction. Action taken on evidence, driven by conviction. They had the word of God. They had the, the signs of God. They had these plagues where God said, I'm going to set you apart, I'm going to set you free. And though it hadn't happened yet, because God has shown himself to be, have the power and the might and the, and the faithfulness to his people, there's evidence and they're driven by conviction. And they, this has a, they have a faith that trusts and obeys. The essence of faith is, is, is trust that obeys. And they, they're doing that. So this Passover marks the grand finale. The grand finale of the plagues. God's culminating plan to bring them and set them free. To, to his acts of power and judgment against Israel. And also this, pact, this acts of, of mercy and deliverance. And they come together here. And it comes to a crescendo here at the Passover. And he says, another difference here is that this plague, he says, must be remembered. We don't, there's no other feast or things where God says, remember the gnats. I mean, you know, I mean, that was important. We should remember that, but it's, you know what I'm saying? Remember the locusts. Remember the darkness. No, remember this. Remember it. He says that in verse 2 of chapter, of chapter 12. He says, he's going to say it again in 14, and we're going to talk more about that, but that's a big distinction, and we're going to get to that next week. Um, the only other time, though, about before I move on, that he says, remember this, that, that, that this should be remembered perpetually, is when he says his name in chapter 315. This is big. When he says, I am that I am, I'm Yahweh. It's the same language. Remember this. Pass this along. Passover comes. Remember this for generations to come. So, it's different. It's set apart. It's a different thing. Now, number two, why was the Passover lamb necessary? Why was it necessary? You know, it says, again, before, did God need a mark to distinguish his people? The first night he didn't. Did he? That'd be kind of weird if God was like going house to house and going, I don't know. You know, you thought of that? You know, I used to think about that as a kid. You know, when you read the stories, like God needed the blood because, you know, he just wasn't sure which house had Israelites in it. Exactly. That's silly. And just following along. And that doesn't make sense because God didn't need that before, did he? 
He knew his people. And again, if he didn't need a mark to know him. Again, even circumcision. He didn't need the mark to go, you know, oh, that's, that's one of mine. No, it, the mark was what? The sign was for, for the people. So God doesn't need a mark of distinction. To, he didn't need to like, you know, uh, you know. You know, like how some people put the reflectors in their mailbox, you know, that live out in the county. He's like, oh, yeah, just turn up the blue reflectors. Because you'll miss it if you don't see them. You know, you put them out there. Uh, so, no, it, he, he, he knows. But again, the, the Passover lamb is necessary. It's based on what I said. One of the distinctions. It's necessary because it's God himself who shows up. God has shown up. The problem is no longer how to escape Pharaoh, but how to be safe before Yahweh. How to be safe before the holy, righteous God. That's a different question. That's a different issue altogether. They were made safe by the blood of the Lamb. They were saved, another way of saying it, by the blood of the Lamb. That's what it's pointing to. They were made safe by faith in God's Word. How though? Through substitution. Through substitution. If we skipped ahead a little bit, it says in 1230, it says that someone died in every house in Egypt. But someone died in every house. Death happened in every house. But instead of the firstborn, it was the lamb. No one can stand before the perfect God. God from a distance had brought judgment upon the enemies of his people. But now God says, I'm showing up. I'm going to be there. I'm going to execute judgment myself. And he's saying, you need atonement. You need a substitute. If you read it, look, it says... Verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for Yahweh. Shall be a sign for you. That blood was shed for you. Blood needs to be shed for sin. For covenant breaking. What kind of substitute did they need? Again, I'm not saying that the lamb actually atoned, but it points to the need for substitution, for a need for substitutionary atonement. And what did, what did this sign have to point to? It had to point to, it had to what, did, what did it say? It had to be perfectly spotless and without defect. Perfectly white, no defect, no deformity. That it requires a perfect sacrifice to atone. To be a substitute. And note verses 3 and 4 as it's talking about the 
about how, how, to, how many it should feed, you know? Like, some houses that were small, they didn't have a lot of people, so you could, you could kind of join up and co- coordinate. But there seems to be, I need you to make sure that there's enough lamb meat for every person and, and do your best to meet, you know? Like, this kind of sounds like Thanksgiving, doesn't it? I keep thinking about, like, oh, let's get, how many casseroles do we need? Who's bringing the turkey? How's this going to work? We, we don't want to have too little. Has anyone ever had too little at Thanksgiving? Has you, I mean, it's, that's, that's the biggest fear we have, but I've never gone and like, oh, we ran out of food. It's always like, what are we going to do with all this? But there, there was great care. He said, I want you to make sure that, okay, there's too much. Oh, bring somebody else in, this small house. You can, you can meet in one, you got to meet in one house. Make sure that this lamb will feed everybody in that house. And if there's, it's okay there's some left over, but there better be no leftovers. Kind of strikes at me, my frugalness and how, you know, you always, leftovers are essential in our house. But in this case, no leftovers. So a lamb had to be, but it had to be perfect. It had to be precise in the, how, that it had, to, it had to feed everyone in the house exactly, perfectly, none left over. And it, it had to all be at the same time. Like, he knew you would need time to coordinate. He gave three days. Pick out the lamb. That took some time. And then four days later, you're going to cook it. So he knew it would be a, a hard time doing that. Just like we need some time figuring out Thanksgiving with the family, right? How many, who's coming over? How many? Who's over there in that house? Can we bring three households, two households? This is hard. You talk to Regina, I'll talk to Phyllis. You know, whatever. And, you know, we'll figure it out. And there was time for that. And then you all had to do it. It was a, it, at the same time. Why? Why? Well, the sole purpose and use of the Lamb was to provide Passover cover and Passover nourishment for the people whose number and needs it matched. And once it had been achieved, it was not available for anything or anyone else. And it was all supposed to happen at the same time. And so what we realize is, so normally as we think about Passover, we think about the feast, we think about the, the practice, we think about the memorial of it. But Passover happened one time. And people ate that, that, that lamb one time. And that blood was on the door that one time, and that one time God showed up and brought judgment. And for everyone who fed on the lamb, and everyone who's the blood, they were marked with the blood of the lamb, they were secure. It's pouring to the greater sacrificial lamb that his sacrifice was one time. And it was sufficient for all his people. It was enough. And no more was needed. So there was no more, there was nothing else to do. You didn't have to save it for the next day because what? The ultimate sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice, was once and for all and for everyone and was sufficient and no more had to be done. It is finished. And that lessons, those lessons were shown that day, the 14th day of the month in Egypt as God showed up and his judgment passed over because a substitute was killed instead. It says it was a substitute for the firstborn of the house. Wasn't it just a substitute for that, that, that one person? 
or the people in that house that were first born? Why was it? Why does it say it's a substitute for all? How can we say it was a substitute for all of God's people? Well, go back to chapter four, verse twenty-two. What? Do, how does God describe Israel? He describes Israel as my firstborn. So, in a sense, this is a a pitting against the firstborn. The firstborn of Egypt and the firstborn of God, the God's people is his firstborn and I will keep them secure and the firstborn of Egypt will die. My firstborn will not. They were kept safe and secure in the house. They even feasted. You know, sometimes I've thought about the Passover like kind of like being in a bomb shelter. You ever thought of that? Like, oh no. <laughs> They were feasting. That's how confident. God says, if, the, if you have the lamb and you have the blood, I want you to roast the lamb and, and eat. Eat your fill. Security. He didn't say, oh, you know, I want you to be careful. I don't want everybody to take, don't make a sound, you know. You can't eat and feast without making some sound and having a good time, right? They're feasting. They're eating. They're secure because God said they would be. And they ate dressed. It's a weird thing. It's not how we eat supper, is it? Well, some, I mean, I'm on the go. We're always taking somebody. Sometimes we're eating like we got my staff, I got my sandals on, or, you know, my, you know, my, got my tunic girded up, so we're ready to go. We've got to take somebody to a ball game or something. You know, I guess we do that. But you'd rather just sit and be comfortable and eat dinner, right? But they're supposed to eat. Kind of like you're supposed to eat breakfast. They're eating ready to go. And one commentator put it, why were they supposed to dress this way? They were dressed ready to exit. Ready for the exodus. Exit from slavery. They're in the attire of freedom. That's how one author puts it. I love that. They're in the attire of freedom. Like it, it hadn't happened, it was going to. How sure are we? We're ready to go. I'm dressed and ready to go. How often, parents, do you say, I need you to get dressed and get ready to go? How many times do you say that? Your kids? Can you just be ready to go? I need you to be ready to go in 10 minutes. And it's like 15 minutes later. And I don't know what the shoes are. No. He says, I want, before you even sit down to eat this, you need to have your shoes on. That's a big deal. Maybe that's why they needed four days. Just get your shoes and be ready. We're ready to exit. We're ready for the exodus. We're ready. So... How is the 10th plague different, very different? Why is the Passover lamb necessary? Because the substitute was needed. And here's my last question, because I think this is getting at something we, we miss, and it's there in the reflection. What does Yahweh have to do to love Israel and love us? Okay, I want you to look, look at, look at, um, look at uh, six, chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, um, verses uh, 5 through 8. He says, this is God speaking... Um, he says, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. And he goes, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt. I will deliver you from the slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So, part of what he's doing, there's two, two purposes. One is liberation and deliverance. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to get you out of there. I'm going to set you free. You'll be you know. And then the second is this, verse seven. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt. 
So the first thing he's doing in this is liberation and deliverance. But the second is in verse 7. It's to bring them into a relationship with him. And the only way that can happen is through redemption. They're being bought back. The, the, the blood, the Passover lamb is pointing to the greater lamb, is pointing toward redemption, pointing toward the need in order for you to be with me and be reconciled to me. You have to, be, you have, to have a substitute. There has to be atonement. But he doesn't atone us so that he can love us. Because he loves us, he atoned. I'm getting these amens back there and I love it. It's not. He doesn't atone. He doesn't. The, the, the Passover alone doesn't come so that they can be loved. It's so that the people he loves can be with him. And that's true for you and me too. Sometimes we look at this and go, I'm so, I'm so bad, I'm so sinful that look what God had to do to love me. No, He loved you while you were still in your sins. He's faithful to His people before the Passover, before the Lamb. He tells them this, I need, you need a substitute to be with me, to, to be able to withstand me, my holiness, my righteousness, I want you to be, have a, atonement. I want you to be made clean by the blood of another. I am going to do that because, because I love you. That is so important here. Sinclair Ferguson writes, he goes, It's not God's love that is purchased by the blood. What... Conditions were met in us in order for God to send His only Son into the world to die for sinners. What? None. Indeed, there can be none. The Scriptures affirm that the love of God for us is the reason for the death of Christ. That is the emphasis of John 3.16. God so loved the world that He gave His Son for us. The Son does not need to do anything to be persuaded... He doesn't need to do anything to persuade the Father to love us. He already loves us. He goes on to say, We must not confuse the truth that our sins are forgiven only because of the death and resurrection of Christ with the very different notion that God loves us only because of the death and resurrection of Christ. No, He loves us from the first of time and therefore sent His Son who came willingly to die for us. In this way, a right understanding of the work of Christ leads to a true understanding of the matchless love the Father has for us. And I say that because it's so evident when you look at this. This is a picture. This is, this is getting God's people, us, ready to understand the coming of Christ. And look, He has loved them. He has, he has kept them secure even in slavery. He has multiplied them. He's keeping His promise. Why? Because of His hesed, His covenant faithful love. He has brought judgment against their enemies because He loves them. He said, I'm going to set you free because He loves them. And He doesn't now clean them up so that He can love them. The love is established. He cleans them up. He provides a substitute, a picture of a substitute because He wants us to be reconciled to Him. Does that change how you think about the gospel? 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And while you're still struggling with sin, Christ loves you. And He keeps wanting you to come back. You, the judgment, is a, the Passover was a one-time thing. And the, what we're supposed to see, what the people of Israel are supposed to see is, he wants, us, he wants us to be with Him. And He's going to elaborate on this need of atonement as, he do, as we'll see as He gives the sacrificial system and the way of worship and the tabernacle and the temple. This is a lesson He wants to get. This isn't conditional love. This is the way back to the God who loves you. That's what He's saying. And Christ fulfills it. He, the ultimate Passover lamb, Just like the Passover is a one-time event that is to be remembered, the cross is a one-time event with ongoing ramifications, with ongoing effects. Christ doesn't keep dying for you. He doesn't have to keep atoning for you. It's done. It's finished. And by faith, through grace, by grace, through faith, you are justified. And that truth of justification is clear in this Passover instruction. You need a substitute. Brothers and sisters in Christ, on this side of the cross, you have a substitute. Your sins are forgiven. The judgment has passed over. The judgment of God has passed over. If you are in Christ, there is no judgment The blood has been shed. And the sign is for you. This sign is for you. Sometimes we come and think, I have to eat this so that God will keep loving me. No, this is not for God. He doesn't need that. We need it. As a sign of the inward spiritual reality of what God has already done. Do you have to come to church for God to love you? No. Do you have to take the sacrament for God to love you? No. If He decides to love you, He loves you and He will do what it takes to see you all the way home to Him. He's come and He will see you all the way. He he is going to sanctify you and keep you and He will look at you on the day of His coming and says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. His promise, He will do it. The judgment's passed over. So rest in Him. What's the application Rest, feast, look to the atonement, look to the substitute. He was sufficient, he was enough. It's happened, it was one time, it's done. Look to him, rest in him. It's not a, it's not a jump in the dark. It's not a leap in the dark. It's, what did I say? Faith is action taken on evidence, driven by conviction. There's evidence of His love for you. There's evidence of His reconciling work for you. So we can come together and worship. We can come together and take of the supper, brothers and sisters in Christ, and know that He is the sacrificial lamb. He is the true Passover lamb for you and me. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this, your word, and we pray that we would believe, 
Help us to believe this more. Help us to see the gospel, your mercy, your grace in this Passover meal, the Passover event. Help us to see the greater Passover that occurred as you took the bread and the wine as they were looking back to this event and said, it's me. It's my blood. It's my flesh. I'm the fulfillment. Help us to take these lessons we've learned of the Passover and and see how they are reflected and expounded and and, and upon in, in your cross, Lord Jesus. The true the true atoning sacrifice, the true Passover lamb. Uh, we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.